The guy's name is Tom, but it's really not his name, but his story is true. I've changed the name. Tom is married, and he is a follower of Jesus. He has children, and he's up and coming in his business and succeeding quite, quite well. And he's, he's out on a business trip away from home. He's had a long day of work, and he's had a late dinner. Finishes his dinner and heads to the elevator. And you've got to know this about Tom. Tom really is serious about his vision for life. What he sees that he should be as a husband, as a father. What he believes that God has designed for him to be and to do. And, and what business should be like down in the future. And he has this vision for his success. And Jesus is in the center of that. He steps into the elevator to go up to his floor. And just before the door is shut... A business associate steps in, and she is very, very attractive. By the time they get up to his floor, she has made it very clear to him that he can spend the night in her room, and nobody would ever have to know. And so now, Tom has to make a decision. A decision that will affect his destiny. He decides that he will keep his promise to his wife. He says no. And his destiny, his vision stays on track. We've been talking these last weeks about us being warriors within this culture, dealing with the evil that tries to hound us and the the injustices around us that just encompass us. We talked about how do we deal with that, how do we handle that. And for all of us here, we have this mental picture, if you will, this vision of what our life should be as followers of Jesus. Everything from our, our, our relationships with the opposite sex to marriage or to, to living out a single life or, or what your education is going to look like or what your job's going to be. You've got these, these mental pictures, but as a follower of Jesus... You picture that in the center of God's favor. In fact, if you spend much time with me, you'll hear me pray quite frequently, Oh, Lord, we want to be in the center of your favor, right in the middle of your creative process and your love. Put us in your favor. If you are pursuing that vision, I want to warn you this morning that if you're not careful, you can get burned. To avoid meltdown. And this is probably one of the most profound statements I have made to you in over 16 years. And it's simply this. That vision must have matching virtue. Virtue is is that thing that is pulled out of, that is rooted in. Proceeds from the personality of the creator and his actions. Virtue is moral excellence. And without virtue, you will not and I will not arrive at our vision. Jehovah God had given Israel vision, and they had this vision that they would bust out of their Egyptian captivity and they would make it to this land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. This land that was lush in produce and was already furnished for their arrival. 
In fact, they use the phrase, it is a land of milk and honey. One rabbi describes it this way, the Talmud relates that our sages saw goats eating from fig trees. The figs were so luscious that they were dripping with juice. The goat udders were so full the milk flowed out. And these two liquids mingled into a stream and the land was literally flowing with milk and honey. It was a luscious place. So when they arrived there, each of the tribes of Israel sent out one spy to figure out what was happening in the land and they moved into the region of Hebron. When they came back, they said, it's exactly what God had said. The place is fully furnished for us. And look at the, look at the luscious crops that we brought. We brought and they, they have this grape cluster that's, that's so huge that it's hanging off a pole that two of them are carrying. But instead of staying focused on what God had promised and what was before them, instead of realizing that they had arrived really at home because this is the spot, right there was the place that Abraham and Sarah and that Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah had been buried. This was their home. Instead of focusing on that fact, they, they began to obsess over the fortresses and the stature of the people. And this is what transpired. It's recorded in the scriptures in Numbers, the 13th chapter, and it says this. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. But the men who had gone up with them said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do this. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. His name is Caleb, and Caleb has virtue. You can see it in his faith. He said, we can do this. He's focused on all of the provisions that God has given and the fact that God has given it to them and therefore God will make it possible for them to have it. But they're focused on that word fortress, which means impregnable. They said that these cities are out of our reach. We, we can't do this. And certainly God can't help us either because there are these giants, the, the Anak. In fact, they are so paranoid that they begin to manipulate the crowd and get them into a panicked fervor, and they begin to, begin to exaggerate what they have seen. They said the land devours everyone there. And then they go from the Anak to the Nephilim. They say the Nephilim are there. The Nephilim are the, the, the creatures, the, the giants recorded in Genesis 6-4. There are no longer any of these giants. There are no Nephilim in that land. In fact, the Anak come from the Nephilim. It would be like you telling your five-year-old that you didn't want to go down in the basement. Don't go down there because the boogeyman will get you. It's exactly what they were doing here. We can't go in that land because the Nephilim, the boogeymen, are there and they will destroy us. And Caleb responds and says, boogeymen or not, we can do this. We certainly can do this because he has virtue that matches his vision. Where does virtue come from? It comes from the 1,001 small choices we make throughout our days 
so that when we come to the 1,002nd, we can make the right choice. If you're on the battlefield and, and you're with your, your warriors and someone pitches a grenade in the midst of you and one of you falls down on the grenade and takes the impact and even dies, you need to understand that that warrior who did that didn't suddenly have an epiphany that, oh, somebody needs to do this, but had, had been for several days and several choices, 1,001 choices, if you will, making a decision to care for other people instead of himself. And so what he did was second nature. When Tom stands in that elevator and this beautiful woman says, nobody's going to know. There's a thousand and one choices he's made up to that point of honoring and loving his wife so that he can say no because it's second nature. When Caleb is standing before these fortresses and these giants of people and he says, oh, I got the faith, we can do this, he knows they can do it because day after day he has seen the God that he worships and has faith in that God and proven that God. So then when this 1,002nd choice comes, he says we can do this because it's second nature. It is second nature, not primary nature. You understand that this kind of virtue comes through daily choices. I choose to be this way. And you have to choose. You have to choose. You have to choose virtue. It is a choice. It is not natural. The opposite of virtue is vice. I don't have to study and try to work to have vice. It's there. It is my primary nature. I don't have to work hard at being selfish. It just comes naturally. Last night, my wife showed up from Starbucks with some, some fluid and with these little vanilla scones that I love. And she said, I picked you up some vanilla scones. And there were a couple in the bag. I ate one, walked out, walked back in, and she was taking a bite of the other one. I said, what are you doing? Behold, the Lord says, that is mine. Be thou removed. It's selfishness. You want to see selfishness? Watch me get a seat on an airplane. I go crazy. I don't have to work at that. That's my vice. It's part of me. I don't have to work at being lustful. If it wasn't for the restraints that I have to build in my life and the fact that whenever we're out grocery shopping and a beautiful woman smiles at me, my wife hits me in the chest and says, don't even think about it. It is just part of of who I am. It's the primary deal. It's the vice. Turn to the person next to you and tell them your greatest vice. No, don't do that. But you knew what it was, didn't you? It's there. So if I'm going to change and to become a virtuous man, a man with moral excellence, I have to front load my moral thinking. I have to put it in my mind and practice it so that it becomes second nature. So when Caleb sees this opportunity, he makes the right choice because it's second nature. His, 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 his virtue matches his vision. So I just want to say to you, so that's very clear this morning. Every one of us in this place has a vision for our education and for our family and for our retirement and for, for our, whatever it is that, that you, just, you want to do. You've got this vision you will not arrive to that vision unless you have matching virtue. 
And the effective virtue must be second nature. It must be inculcated into the life. It must become part of our DNA. It must be practiced. It will make us arrive at our vision. You see, God has a vision for you that is actually wrapped up in the vision you have for yourself. He has this wonderful thing he wants you to accomplish. And and a follower of Jesus named Peter makes it very clear. 1 Peter, the second chapter, here's what he says. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Bishop N.T. Wright describes us so well. He says that, that we have these God goals, and they're just two that are built within every vision that we have that we're moving toward if we're followers of Jesus. The first is this, that we are to reflect God's wise order in the world around us. That no matter where we go, whether it's on campus or to work out or to vacation someplace, wherever we are, we are to bring God's wise order to that place. Peter described it as holy nation. Holy means that all the pieces are put together correctly. That we bring light into a dark place because it's all as it should be. We are a royal priesthood. We are rulers. And as rulers, we bring God's rule into that circumstance. That's why this morning we prayed specifically for things in Washington, D.C., where our team is, that everything would have God's wise order. When you pray for your family, you pray that God will put in his wise order. When you pray for your work, you pray that there will be God's wise order. The second goal is this, that we reflect the praise from his creation back to the creator. He said that we are a priesthood. You see, the creation is already praising him. You read the scriptures, it says the trees clap their hands. It says the stars are singing. It says the oceans are roaring. The rocks will even cry out if we don't. But if you read Revelation 4 and 5, you will begin to understand the difference between our praise and the praise of creation around us, which we are apart, but we are significantly different. Because when they praise, they praise. When we praise, we praise. And then we add this, because you are. They don't have the intelligence to create an understanding of what he is, but we do because you are holy, because you are majestic, because you are powerful, because you are the the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, because you are, because you are, because you are, because you are. He said you're designed to do that. Wherever you are, you bring in that praise and worship to God. And that's what Caleb wanted to do. He said, let me go into Hebron and let me bring divine order for worship to God because because he is faithful, because he is great, because he is Jehovah God, because he is the I am, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Because, 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 because. It's obvious that the Jews thought that they would just walk right into that place because they didn't think it was going to be difficult. They thought they'd walk in and, and all these Canaanites and the people in Hebron would say, oh, we've been waiting for you. Here's all our stuff. Bye. It'd be like Al-Qaeda showing up at Dobbin's Landing and all of us saying, here, have my house. Please take over. We'll, we'll go to Canada, eh? <laughs> the dollar's worth more there right now. Anyhow, so we'll just go enjoy our place. No, we would fight. 
Do you think that when you're trying to bring God's order into the world around you, that Satan, who is the prince and the power of the air, is going to sit back and go, oh, please, take over. Have everything that I have here. He's going to fight against us. That's why we get frustrated at times. We think we're doing God's will, and we go, well, wait a minute. Why did God put me in this job? It's so frustrating. Why is my marriage so boring? If you have a vision for your marriage, and if you have a vision for your job, for it to be accomplished, you must have the virtue that goes with it. That is why it's so amazing that when Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, he says, okay, here's how the body functions so that you can bring wise order to the world around you. Here's what it does. Here's the wise order. Here's the order. And then over here in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, and this is how you express worship to God. Here's a reflecting back. There are those two things you're supposed to do. And smack dab in the middle of it, 1 Corinthians 13, is virtue. And this is how you are. He says, right now we look in a mirror darkly and so we get frustrated. We can't figure out why it's not working the way it should. But we're going to put away childish things and take on virtue in its place. And when we see Jesus, then we'll understand everything and we'll be made perfect. But right now, we've got to practice this virtue. We've got to work it out in our lives. And he says in the end, in the very end, there's only three things that remain. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things will last forever. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. There is the virtue. There is a greater vision that God has for you beyond what you have, and there's a greater virtue even than you practice. And he said, I want you to get these three down, faith, hope, and love. See, virtue is not a duty. We've got to do this stuff. It is our destiny because that's what it's going to be when we're done. Faith, hope, and love. So we've got to practice that. Now, see, if, if, if I disappeared from you and I was gone for four months and had a severe illness and I came back and I was just emaciated, you would say, oh, he, he's just a shadow of what he used to be. Paul is saying, right now, we are a shadow of what we are going to be. Therefore, begin to practice it now. Begin to practice, he said. I want you to practice hope, which is total trust that God controls the future. Practice it today. So today, I pray for my children today. I pray for my sons who both are working in Alaska, and I say, God, you have control of their lives. I pray for one daughter who's in South Africa. Lord, you protect Christy. You, you got control. I, I trust you with her. And Natalie, who's working in the Arab section of Jerusalem all summer long, working with the Arabs in a psychiatric hospital. Lord, protect her in that country. I practice that now so that even when the tough times come, I have hope. Practice faith, which is the utter trust in God as creator and as redeemer. Oh, Lord, I thank you that even today I'm having issues, but you can create what I need because you're still creating, and I thank you that I'm still close to you because you continue, you continue. The blood of Jesus continues to cleanse me from every sin. Thank you for that. Even when I've blown it this week, and I have, I thank you that you have forgiven me, and I'm still close to you. I believe that. You practice love which is looking after others first. Practice it today in the little things. 
I've always said that, and been thinking about this this week, that if my wife is ever on an airplane and the plane has to do an emergency landing and they have to rip open those exit doors and people have to get out, I'm praying that if she's close to an exit, the guy that is opening that exit door is a guy who every day has this courtesy in him that he opens doors for people to come in instead of himself and takes care of others before he takes care of himself because I know he'll take care of my wife because he's been practicing that. I don't want some selfish slob blocking the door. I want him open the door and say, here, let me get you out of here because he practices that. That's why Paul the Apostle writes these words to the church at Philippi. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there's any what? Virtue. If there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and you heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He said, look, front load this stuff in you. And as I do, he said, you do the same. Practice these over and over and over again. It will change you. A study was recently done with the taxi drivers in London, those black cabs. Before you can become a taxi driver in London, they make you memorize the entire grid of that city, which has no rhyme or reason to it. I'm serious, you can't, you can't drive a taxi until they can ask you any question about where something is and you've got to know where it is. They know everything about that. So they took these taxi drivers and they run brain scans on them. And what they discovered about that was that the hippocampus, which is the part of the brain that, that takes memories and organizes all that and stores all that information, had enlarged. That the gray matter enlarged and adapted to help them store a detailed map of the city. The body had created adaptation so that they could remember that stuff that they were processing and front-loading on a continuous basis. Doesn't it seem to you that if we are taking the virtues of the Holy Spirit and front-loading them in our minds and in our spirits, that even our spiritual hippocampus and even our mind should begin to change? that it becomes so second nature and the body adapts to those virtues. Shouldn't we become so big in Jesus' character that it is noticeable to other people, that we can take people on paths that are confusing in this life that we can now discern because we have this virtue in us and God is showing us the direction. That's what he wants for his people. I mean, that's why Paul said this. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind. Front load all this stuff. And when you do, it will begin to transform you. And then he said, you'll be able to practice, prove out God's will, the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. See, we think that when we come to Jesus, we just change automatically. We do not. When you come to Jesus and you've had a bad temper, it's the rare case where the temper's gone. You've got to start front-loading the virtues. If you've had a problem with porno and you come to Jesus, he might remove that, but then again, he may say, hey, front-load the virtues. Come on. And practice every day those virtues in your life, and you'll be transformed. So, so Caleb practiced those virtues. So when Israel said, we're not going in, God said, okay, you're not going in. You'll never go in. 
So he said, you're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until this generation of unbelief is gone, except for Joshua and this man. Numbers 14.24. But my servant Caleb, this is a different story. He has a different spirit. He follows me passionately. I'll bring him into the land that he scouted, and his children will inherit it. Caleb has a different spirit. He has virtue. He has front-loaded that stuff. And now for another 40 years, he will continue to walk in virtue. He'll have to walk with them in the wilderness, and it wasn't his fault. You ever, you ever been in a situation where somebody else messed up and you have to pay for it? Don't you hate that? You just want to say, hey, God, nuke them till they glow. Just take them out. Give me the exception, but here you are. You're walking in the wilderness. And I would have been tempted. The vice in me would have said to the people as we're walking for 40 years, you're not going in, I'm going in, you're going to die. <laughs> I would have just rubbed it in. He doesn't. And he doesn't complain to God and say, oh, God, you should let me go in and let those other people wander and come back and see me later. He stays in his broken place. And his virtue keeps him in a spot because he knows this is not his home. See, virtue helps us thrive in our broken place till we get home. See, you're, you, you've got a vision and now you're suffering because it's not working out and you're having a tough time. And virtue, when you have virtue, when, you, when you've worked these things out, this moral excellence, it tells you, you stay with it because this is not your home. So they wander for 40 years, they come back to the same spot. And Caleb says, okay, I've done this thing. And here's what he says to Joshua, who's now leading them. Joshua 14. Today, I'm 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. Isn't that amazing? So give me the hill country that the Lord promised and you remember that as scouts we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. I'm going to do this. Two Sundays ago, there was a story in the Sunday paper and it was a picture of this guy. His name is Harry Hahn. We have his picture there. Harry just retired from the Erie Credit Union. He's 101. And do you know why he retired? He wanted to spend more time with his new wife, who is 92. (laughs) Is that great? I love this guy. I'm going to tell you that vision gives you purpose for life. And virtue gives you the ability to persevere and wait for the vision to arrive. So Caleb says, I'm 85. And baby, I'm strong. I'm going to go do this. Send me in. I'm taking on the giants. And he does. He goes in there and brings God's order. We've got to understand that we can't release God's rule in any place until it's released in our place. And that's virtue. I, I can't give out what I'm not practicing. You say, you see, we, we're a big, we believe this, this thing that we have authority in the spiritual realm. I'm going to tell you that you cannot use that authority unless you have matching virtue. 
because you'll get crushed. Because the warfare will be so intense, and as you're trying to speak this authority, you've got to have the virtue to respond in the positive way so that it functions. As warriors, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. It'll be of good cheer because I've given you the virtue. I've given you the ability so that when you're, when you're frustrated and when you're hurt and when things aren't going the way you want them to go, he said, I want you just to move in that virtue, that faith, that hope, that love, and all the teachings that Jesus gave you and all the teachings that Paul gave you about how to be the person you need to be. But I'm going to tell you, you can't be that way unless you're practicing it every day, unless you understand what those, those are. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have small groups. That's why we discuss this stuff. It's not coming by osmosis, and you're not going to get it in 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's not going to happen. That's why in America we're just seeing this intense crumbling of faith and people just falling apart. And they say, where's God's power? And God says, where's your virtue? Because if you had a virtue, you'd understand where my power is. And we walk in encouragement because with virtue we understand, like Caleb, that this is not our home. Martin and Laura Story are a great couple. They've been married seven years. He's an athlete and she's a worship leader at a very large church. About a year and a half into their marriage, Martin started having these symptoms where he was just fatigued all the time and was forgetting stuff. And, and Laura j- jokingly says that she took Martin to a couple doctors and they both, the doctors responded the same way. She'd say to them, well, Martin just lays on the couch and while he's watching the football game, he just goes to sleep. And then I tell him to, to, to load the dishwasher and then later he'll just say he forgot. And the doctors, both of them just laughed and said, well, the problem is he's a man. So finally they discovered that he had a tumor in the brain. After a series of surgeries, they weren't sure that he was going to live, and he did live, and then they weren't sure he's ever going to walk, but he does walk. But five years now past those surgeries, he still has memory and visual deficiencies. Where's the vision? Because Laura will tell you that there are those moments that she'll just say, God, why did you curse us with this? They pray that God will bring a total healing, and you would think that he would, but it hasn't happened yet. And, and, and she, she deals with, and they both deal with this, the fact that they have more questions than they have answers. Yet what they discovered is that the virtue in them has helped them stay in their broken place as they wait. The virtue in them has helped them uncover the fact that God is giving them blessings even in their deficiencies and their disabilities. That even in their warfare, they're discovering because they're virtuous that they're moving toward their destiny. And the most amazing part of this for them is this that they have discovered that through all of this and as they remain virtuous and they practice those virtues even in their pain and frustration, that there is a deeper destiny that they didn't even know was there that God is taking them to. 
And Laura describes it in the song that she wrote called Blessings. We pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity, we pray for your mighty And all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness, we doubt your love, as if every promise from your word is not. As long as we have faith to
your vision do you have the matching virtue see Jason didn't know where the sermon was headed today but he led you earlier in worship and said did he sense that some of you are here and you're not ready to give up give up on your vision and give up on the battle and and God said no 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 my Holy Spirit is here to fill you with my virtue he's gonna put it in you and then you got to practice it that's the deal so I know there's a whole bunch of stuff going on today and we have, we have the, the crews in and just royal family is going to bail out of here in a little while and got all that stuff going on. But for you, for you, for you, for you right now, because I've sensed this for like 24 hours, some of you, this is your turning point. That you don't dare walk out of here until you say, give me that virtue. And when I'm going to give it another shot, I'm going to go with this thing. I'm going to make it. I'm going to practice this thing. A thousand and one times so that when the thousand and second time comes, I can say, this is the thing because it's so second nature to me now. His nature. I just love this song. First time I heard it, I just, I just said, that's, that's it. That's the deal. So here's what we're going to do. I, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to have them sing it again. But here's how we're going to respond to it. I'm going to have you stand when they start in just a moment. Then they'll start singing. And if that's you, if you just need to take a few moments and just solidify this thing, nail it down, say, here is my commitment to the virtues that I need to achieve the vision. I'm going to do that. I'm going to come and have you just come here. You can kneel. You can stand. You can do whatever. And then we're just going to worship together and let you leave when you're ready. But would you just, you and Jesus, nail this thing out with the Holy Spirit? Just Because here's the deal. The Scripture said when you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, He will. And take that virtue and say, okay, this is the person I'm going to be, and I'm going to start practicing it today. If you need to go, would you just give a few moments for those who are going to make a decision to come here and just spend some time. Let them move without being distracted. And if you need to talk to somebody, do that out in the lobby so you're not distracting people that are around you. So God's blessing be upon you. Will you stand and just remain steady? And as Valerie and John begin to sing again, you can make your way right here and cement those virtues into your life. We pray for blessings 
We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering and all Yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love As if every promise from your word is not enough And all the while you hear each desperate plea As long as we have faith to What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? When friends betray us, when dark Are your mercies in disguise? 